Hello and welcome to episode three of Dad Pod. I'm Osha Ginsberg. That's Charlie Clawson. How are you going, Charlie? I'm good, Osh. This is uh, season two where we decided to take a little breath from being dads and look back at what we've learnt so far, see if we can rake over the coals of uh, early pregnancy right through to birth and, and, and see what we've learnt. And actually try to actually nail the brief of what we originally started at. Wouldn't it be great to make a podcast for dads to give them the things that we couldn't find online? And all we did was really just talk about what was happening in our week. Uh, <laughs> so, Help. It was a white flag every week. Same show <laughs> with this time with facts. With facts. Episode yeah. three, we've decided to focus on the first trimester. So this is the first, basically, trimesters, the, what are they, the 12 weeks? Mm. They're about 12 weeks each. The first trimester is the first 12 weeks of, of a pregnancy. And, you know, basically trying to talk about what goes on. And we talked a little bit about the anxiety and, and, and fear that a, a new dad might have. But it's important that you understand what is going to be happening to your partner. You know, you've seen pregnant ladies, they change shape. <laughs> Yeah, they do. I mean, I think the interesting thing about this topic is that as we sort of were pulling our ideas together for this, it became apparent that you and I had different experiences, or more specifically, Gemma and Audrey had different experiences mm. of the first trimester. Yeah, absolutely. Audrey early on started having things, that, and I, we knew that something was up when she no longer wanted the KFC. <laughs> Her taste sensations just completely, completely changed. It was super weird. We were prepared for all of that. We've had uh, some friends who have had really like difficult first trimesters where they felt nauseous all the time. Sometimes they were getting migraines, headaches, all kinds of like, the changes going through. So we were quite prepared for that. But our first trimester was relatively incident free. Gemma got next to no morning sickness. We had a bunch of things that we had booked and planned prior to falling pregnant that we were like, well, you know, rather than sort of cancel this and lose our accommodation or whatever, do we see it through? So we did a fair bit of interstate travel. We uh, went and did Blues Fest up in Byron <laughs> Bay for a weekend. Superb. So trudging, and it was one of those classic festival experiences where it had been raining for the entire week leading oh, up no. to Blues Fest, and so we had to buy the wellies and everything like that. But it was actually, uh, we kept waiting for the other shoe to drop because yeah. it's like, okay, how much longer can we coast through this? But we were lucky. We, she never actually got anything that was that unpleasant. That is fortunate. Uh, it's important that people understand that that is one experience that you may yeah. definitely have. We we also had a we had a, a holiday plan. So even though it says you probably shouldn't, we went skiing, and <laughs> you know Audrey went skiing because she's a champ, a total champ. Mm. But the biggest thing I think that she had in the first few weeks, besides everything tasting differently, was she had to nap like the goats on the internet that you see <laughs> fall asleep when someone claps their hands. She would just be like, okay, great. I know we're having a conversation right now. I appreciate that. But if I don't find a bed or somewhere horizontal right now, I am going to fall over. And she would just be like that asleep. But, you know, think about it. You and I, we try to keep fit. After a, a workout, 
you feel mm. that tired as your body is trying to create new cells to heal the damage done after a, a heavy training session, and you sleep really well after you've trained really hard. Her body was trying to create eyeballs and a spinal cord and, and you know, <laughs> and the nerve systems and, and hair and skin and teeth and nails. So, of course, she's tired, you know. Her entire body system is, is all her energy is being pushed into this. And this is just one of the one of the symptoms that, that women can experience. There can be something like obviously morning sickness. People often have that sometimes really, really badly. Um, yeah. Constipation is definitely a thing. Uh, food mm. aversions like Audrey definitely had headaches, tender breasts, like nothing can fit because the boobs are starting to change shape and it really hurts actually. Mood swings, uh, which is a, another thing that was definitely interesting. Mm. It is important, though, at these points, as she's starting to, all of a sudden, her body's changing. Like it's, it's important to kind of let her know and verbally reassure her why you want to do this with her. And it may feel like you're a bloke. I told you once that should be enough. No, you actually <laughs> have to do it all the time. And I found this is a really good time to get into. We used, no matter what product I mentioned, someone's going to have a problem with the product, right? But mm. uh, we used a product called Bio oil. And yeah. this is now the opportunity to get into the routine of massaging your partner every single night, just every night, every night. You want to get that bio oil on the tummy, make sure there's no stretch marks. And while you're in there, get into that lower back, get in there every single night, get in there. And because the other thing is that you may not feel like sex. She may not feel like sex, but it allows you to have this kind of hands-on touch kind of intimacy that at least does bring some reassuring. I guess the other thing that's really important is in the first few weeks of pregnancy, just on the sly, mm. call up your health insurance company and double, triple check that you're covered for pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now we, 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 we realized at the last minute that we weren't. Oh, <laughs> that shit. is actually very good advice because you sort of forget. It's one of those things that you sort of take for granted, but yeah, definitely. If you have private health insurance, it's worth setting that up. And also, you know, this is something we'll get to in later episodes, but once the child is born, putting them on the same policy, because that is something in the kind of storm of everything that's happening that can easily slip through the cracks is like, yeah, we want to get a fa- shift to a family policy. Yeah, without a doubt. I guess the other thing, as you get into the second month, be really aware of things like food aversions. And like, for example, like Audrey, I mentioned already, she didn't want KFC, but to the point where some women, and I know this, they can't even like drive past it. The, mm. the, the smell is enough. It does something weird. They just get so repulsed by it that you have to be really careful about what you bring home. I had to change my aftershave. It was just all of a sudden, this is an aftershave that she bought me as a gift because she wanted to smell it on me. And now it made her want to vomit. So yeah. I had to change my aftershave. And as, as you get into month three and she starts to show, I don't care who you are, you're going to feel... Even when I put on a couple of kilos, I, I, I feel differently about myself. And so my, their whole life, you know, my whole life, you've been thinking about how it feels when your body gets a little bigger. Mm. Just be really mindful of that. Never say the words fat. Never say <laughs> the word big. Never say the word weight. Just, just don't. Just don't. I mean, I think that is generally good advice for a relationship yeah. in general. <laughs> oh, I think yeah. if you're in any kind of relationship, romantic or platonic. I would say uh, so. It's just like, you know, strike those words uh, from the, you know, well, having said that, I think there is, 
Within certain male groups of friends, there is a certain level of acceptable bullying if it means it's going to save your life. Yes. Where being called fat maybe cuts through a lot of the chuffer. Yeah. But I'd say as a general rule, don't yeah. fat shame anyone. Absolutely. But yeah, and as, of course, in the early parts of the pregnancy, as we mentioned on last episode, this is where the, the highest probability that something could possibly go wrong. So there's yeah. definitely things that you will need if you know want to check anything out. It's a bit difficult now. We're recording this in the middle of a pandemic, but over telehealth, you'll probably be able to at least get some peace of mind. Any kind of heavy vaginal bleeding, any kind of severe pain, suddenly being super thirsty, as the baby starts to grow, the room for their bladder becomes less and less. So essentially the bladder becomes the size of a thimble and they, women have to pee every six minutes. And as soon as they finish peeing, they feel like they have to, they're going to burst again. But if it's ever painful, definitely go get it checked out. Any kind of fever, suddenly, you know, getting a puffy hands or puffy face, anything like that, anything you can't see properly, things like that, just get to the doctor straight away. It could be nothing, but it's important to check that stuff out because a lot of the times if you get on stuff early, there's a lot of interventions that can be done rather than just go, oh, no, it's fine, we'll go tomorrow. No, 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 go straight away. Well, let me just say, like, th- there's a flip side to all of this as well, which is like, of course, you want to be cautious and you want to take the approach of making sure that she's okay and there will be things that she's having to give up or feels an aversion to. But there's also a lot of stuff that your wife can continue to do. I think that uh, if you're like me, you maybe came from an understanding of pregnancy that it is a, inverted commas, delicate condition. Yeah. And that all of a sudden you need to wrap your wife in or your partner in cotton wool and make sure that they are not disturbed. You just want to put them in stasis for nine yeah. months, which is actually not the common accepted wisdom now. What they encourage, what doctors encourage you to do is actually to be as active as possible. Because I know for Gemma, you know, her concern was she loves working with our trainer, she loves going to the gym, she loves her early morning walks, the dog, all that kind of stuff. Was she still going to be able to do that? And the answer is yes. In fact, the idea that once you get pregnant that you uh, stay on your back or you don't move or whatever is actually not good for the child. You actually want to maintain good blood pressure. You want to good, maintain good mo- mobility and you're going to need all that kind of stuff when it gets to labor. Like it's actually yeah. a good idea to work on an endurance and work on your strength and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, within reason. We're not going to be going for the PB deadlift down to the CrossFit gym. <laughs> Let's be honest. But... No, no. But let me give you some examples, yeah. Osh, of some great things that women have done while pregnant. Serena Williams, Won the Australian Open in her first trimester. She was 10 weeks pregnant when she did it. It's like the fucking greatest thing. That I'm just going to say this. That we, as human beings, get to be on the planet at the same time that Serena Williams is alive is in honour. She is probably the greatest athlete that you or I will ever see. Fucking hell, she's amazing. Amal Clooney uh, stayed at work, delivered a historic speech to the UN. Fuck yeah, go Amal. Cardi B performed at Coachella and twerked while pregnant. That's right, baby. <laughs> Beyonce performed at the Grammys. Oh. Ali Wong recorded two stand-up specials for Netflix. Wait, wait Net- a second, Netflix. wait a second. Netflix. Do you remember the moment when Beyonce, at the very end of the song, it was extraordinary. She dropped the mic and then she basically went, and she stuck the belly out and she held the, her, her, her top tight against her chest so you could see that there was a baby and it was just, it was the end of the song. It was fucking it was amazing. And so, Osh, would you say that you were ready for that jelly? Uh, no, because Jay-Z... Look, he's got a lot of problems, 99, uh, actually, him and Ice-T, but I don't want to be one of them, so um, I, I, I was not ready for that jelly. Uh, Jacinda Ardern became Prime Minister of New Zealand. She did too. Uh, Elizabeth Rubin was a war correspondent. 
In war nice zones, one. Uh, here, Marissa Mayer became Yahoo's CEO while six months pregnant. Nice one, Marissa. And Malaysian shooter Nurse Sarani Mohammed Tabi was eight months pregnant when she competed. So there is plenty of stuff that your partner can do while pregnant. Like, of course, within reason, no power squats, as I mentioned, but there's no reason that they should feel like they need to be wrapped in cotton wool. And probably more importantly, from your perspective, no reason for you to feel like you need to wrap them in cotton wool. No, but and I remember in the first season, you also have to be quite sensitive around this. There was a, if you remember on the first season of this show, we had a listener write in and... Um, He'd just gotten back down to the couch after a long day. They were, I don't know, <laughs> watching an episode. If you remember this bloke, she said, oh, can you give me a glass of water? He goes, you're pregnant, not disabled. <laughs> uh, you will get the glass of water. You always will get the glass of water. This is also the time, the first trimester is also the time where you have to have, and, and as somebody who has, as we mentioned the other day, as we mentioned on the other episode, uh, the previous episode, we mentioned the geriatric pregnancies, which is a mm. shit name, but it's what they're called. You have to be present to and aware of and an acceptance of that there are things that can go wrong with uh, the pregnancy and the, the likelihood of abnormalities happening within the fetus get higher as the, the woman and the man get older. So you have to have genetic testing, basically. Mm. And there's a few different types that you can get. We did a thing called the Harmony Test, which is a, new, a newer test. It didn't cost a lot of money. It was saying it was about 400 bucks which, I mean, when you've got no job because of COVID-19 is now a lot of money, but at the time, it was this is $400 to find out if baby has any kind of range of genetic diseases or chromosomal abnormalities, or and particularly because of my heritage being of weak Eastern European, somewhat Ashkenazi stock, uh, there's all kinds of things that can go askew. So we, we had to have the test, and it was really hard, Charlie, because... They have the blood test. They basically, they take the, uh, it's called FFDNA, free-floating fetal DNA. They basically, they take a blood test out of the mother. They, they no longer have to puncture into the placenta, which is what they used to do, which is a tricky one because then you've got to think about this. I think it was, I'm going to get the numbers wrong. It's a one in 200 chance. I'm going to, this is totally made up. This is not okay. a fact. But if it's a one in 200 chance of you causing a complication with the pregnancy by drawing fluid out of the placenta and it's a one in a hundred chance of that there's going to be an abnormality, it's actually safer to pierce the placenta and take the fluid than risk that there might be an abnormality. And these are the things you actually, you've got to sit down, you've got to have these conversations. Do we test? Do we not test? And then Audrey and I, we had a, there was a lot of long silences as we waited for the test results. What are we going to do? And, you know, you're in the first 12 weeks, there is the option to terminate we had to have the conversations between us about, well, what do we want to do? What kind of life do we want this kid to have? And that's going to be someone else's, for every individual couple, every person in that couple, that's going to be your own choice. But be prepared. Be prepared to have this conversation because it's a conversation you need to have. And I remember at the time when we did have that test and we were waiting, I was talking to a couple of mates of mine and they went, yeah, those are tough chats, aren't they? Because you wait so long to try and get pregnant and then you have to go, well, what are we going to do if the baby's got quite severe abnormalities? What are, what are we going to do? And what you do is completely up to you, but just be prepared. Have your ducks in a row because that question's going to have to be answered. Another question you might need to ask is uh, work. 
what does your partner do for a living? Is it something that she can continue to do while pregnant? Is the morning sickness and that kind of stuff going to affect her yeah. uh, ability to work? Uh, what was Audrey's experience with that? Well, she was uh, at the time, Audrey was still working fairly full time as a hair and makeup artist, which it might sound fancy and like something that kids with perfect skin do on YouTube, but the actual reality of a hair and makeup artist is that you're on your feet for mm. 10 to 12 hours a day. You're working very, very hard, not only at making people who probably have never, ever been on camera look fantastic to be on camera, but also helping them get calm and relax them. And it's mm. a very emotionally draining job. You're working all day with tiny little pens so your hands can get really quite sore. And uh, certainly if you're doing a lot of blow drying, standing up all day, blow-drawing somebody's hair, particularly when she was working on game shows like Family Feud and Celebrity Name Game and stuff like that, when she's just churning through 24 contestants in a day. That's a lot of faces to mm. to make up. And being on your feet all day as your centre of gravity starts to shift can be quite tough. She was working on Bachelor when she was pregnant with Wolfie, which was kind of fun because she was getting all the girls ready for the cocktail parties and they all <laughs> knew that she was my wife and that she's pregnant. So that was, that was kind of interesting. But it's a physically very demanding job. And particularly, you're also lugging your makeup kit up and down the driveway and mm. all this kind of stuff. And, and I just said to her, look, you know, you may have to think about pulling the pin because this was much later in the pregnancy. This was, I think, about yeah, six, yeah. six months in. But early on, she was fine. She was at work all day and... You know, she was tired at mm. the end of it. Well, Gemma's a, a director and a freelance director, so not dissimilar to Audrey in terms of the work requirement. She's on her feet all day. She's generally one of the first people on set, one of the last people to leave. Yeah. But Gemma was determined to work the whole time. She actually did work right up until two weeks before wow. baby was born. Now, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but the hard thing that women have to face is the idea that if you leave this position, will it still be there for you when you are ready to return back to work. And the good news is, Osh, yeah. is statistically that is happening more and more. In the last six years, uh, more women have found that their job is waiting for them when they return to work than when they left six years ago. So the numbers have increased by about 15% of women are returning back to the same roles after taking six to seven months off work to give birth to a child. That is fucking great news. Obviously, we'd love to see the numbers get up, but that we even, it's 2020 and we have to have this conversation and be, hey, 15%. That's great. Like, well, there's no way. There's no way that if a man had some sort of affliction that he said, listen, I've got to get my one leg taken off and then a new one put back on, but I'm going to be out for six months. Any company would go, well, we've invested so much time and effort into you and you've got all the contacts and you know how the place works. Brilliant. We'll put someone in place and we can't wait to have you back because we do great work when you're here. But no, we have this kind of idea that when women get pregnant and then have a baby, it's like, well, I guess we'll never see well, you again. We'll see you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. It's, not yeah? it's like Logan's run. You oh, get over 30, hell. it's like, you're done. See you later. Bye-bye. Oh, man. The, the 70s was a grim time for science fiction. <laughs> Christ, between that, Omega Man and Soylent Green, I remember watching those three films, you know, I caught them in a, in a short period of time at the <laughs> weekly Dollar Weekly video shop that I live nearby. It's like, what was going on? Oh, right, sorry, the threat of nuclear annihilation was hanging over yeah. everybody's heads. Well, you're coming out of Vietnam and you're yeah. heading headlong into the uh, the greed of the 80s. So it was a very, very tumultuous time <laughs> in was. the 70s. It sure was. But yeah, and there was, a, I think Eddie Izzard talks about it in his book that when his mum got married, his mum and dad, they worked at Betchley Park, I think, which is where Alan Turing worked to 
create the machine that broke the Enigma code at the end of World yeah. War Two, and and basically what would happen if you're you were a secretary and at 21 when you got engaged to be married, they would have afternoon tea for everyone and basically say, all right, see you, <laughs> and that was it. You would never ever ever come back again. <laughs> it's like that was that was well and truly par for the course. Well, I mean. Even if you ever considered having a career, I mean, you talk to like my mother's generation, you know, and there was never even a discussion that she was going to have a, a, a career of any kind. It was just get married and have babies. That was that was her mission statement, you know. Like it was funny. I remember we took her out for Mother's Day a few years ago, Gemma and I, and we thought we were going to get all these really nostalgic, you know, tales of motherhood and stuff. And you know, she was like, "Oh no, I would have stopped at two if your father had worn a condom." <laughs> And then I was like, well, yeah, but like having that house filled with kids, it must have been great. So much love. She's like, oh, no, they're just constantly needing things and crying and <laughs> cooking and cleaning. And, and and I said, well, you know, but then they get older. And she's going, yeah, but then they get older and they're teenagers and they hate you and you're putting up with constant rebellion and stuff. She's gone, it's good if you can last 25 years. She's gone 25 years. As long as they've survived and they haven't gone off the rails, that's when you can really cash in on being a parent. Like, Holy shit, this is quite an investment. Don't hold back, mum. <laughs> Don't hold back. But it is a really good time to start. If you haven't had that conversation already, make sure you have that conversation about expectations, certainly not only for the end of the pregnancy, but also the first three to six months or so, or when, you know, if you're thinking about childcare, you know, the first three to six months of baby's life, now is when you have that chat. It's a time to have uncomfortable conversations, guys. This is when it is. It's now. Because you don't want to be there with the baby in your arms going, uh, so I guess you'll be going back to work next week so we can make the mortgage and I can keep up the jet ski payments. Like, no, you're going to have to think about how it's going to work. Yeah, and guaranteed too. Like, the one thing I can say now that we are six months in the clear, Osh, <laughs> is that your uh, ability to cognitively reframe things in that first six-month period is not great. No. Nah. No. You find yourself becoming just a little more impulsive and a little bit more emotional just because of sleep deprivation, all those kind of things. So, you know, first trimester is probably, second trimester is probably, we'll get to it, but it's probably the better period to have a lot of discussions because your partner will be flooded with so many great hormones. She's just going to be on cloud nine. But also, like, first trimester is also a good time to have these very rational, logical discussions. That can also include how much you would expect whoever's mum to come and help if mum can come and help. How much is too much? How much is not enough? You know, are you on your own? What are you going to do? Like now's the time to start planning for that kind of thing and just kind of have expectations about what it's going to look like. I think that's super, super important. Should we call Ryan? Let's call Ryan. Hello. Ryan Johnson, welcome to DadPod. How are you? Good, Charlie Clawson. How are you? Good. I'm sitting here with Osha Ginsberg as well. Hey, Osha. Good to see you. We are slowly collecting every cast member of Dr. Doctor on this show, and <laughs> we're very happy great, to have man. you here. If you can get a Steve Bisley's really? number, that'd be great. I, guess I didn't know you had Steve Bisley on the show. <laughs> <laughs> he, he collects them. Crikey, we, get the, that is. we get the goose on. That'd be the yeah, best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then it's a hop, skip, and jump to Mel Gibson. <laughs> One degree from. Yeah, exactly. So uh, how are you going, Ryan? Are you still fending off um, angry tweets from Star Wars fans? Uh, Look, they simmered down a bit, and as a result, uh, Knives Out doing well kind of of has put me back in more of a positive light. 
the thing I've noticed is that people don't tend to tweet the positive stuff. So no right. out being a better film, um, getting better feedback. I'm not getting it. Well, isn't that a shock that Twitter is just a cesspool yeah. of negativity? Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. Place where people go to complain about stuff, but they never come to congratulate you on every, anything. You know, I'm like, I did as much work on Knives Out as I did on on that Star Wars movie, <laughs> and yet no one has tweeted me, which is just fucking ridiculous. So I just just for people, so the director of Star Wars: The Last Jedi and Knives Out is also a Ryan Johnson, but he's an R.I. And because mm. Twitter is, how shall we say, populated by people who may have a, a vague kind of relationship to correct spelling, um, <laughs> yeah. they just type in Ryan, R-Y-A-N, and up you mm. pop, and they're well and truly ready to show, tell you how dare you, you know, create some sort of feminazi space opera. <laughs> There's yeah. no way that Lucas would have allowed you to live, how dare you draw breath in my exactly. universe. 100%. And even when I tweet things like, this is an outrage, I'm not getting any feedback on Knives Out that I did direct also, people will still follow it up with angry tweets at me about Star Wars. So. <laughs> but Looper was really good, okay? I really enjoyed Looper. Well, good. Thanks, man. Thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you liked it. What about the episodes of Breaking Bad that I did do? Uh, excellent. The Fly. Yeah, that was, a, that was my favourite episode of Breaking Bad. <laughs> is that the one I, I didn't do? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I that like one. That. I like that episode too. But think, one thing that you have done is become a dad of a small human, Today we've been talking about the first trimester and the changes that you know you need to expect or think about, and the conversations yeah. you need to expect and think about with your partner. Did you do the thing where you had to do the genetic testing to find out if there's any kind of abnormalities or things like that? Yeah, we did actually. I remember us being really careful about that because we had a miscarriage prior to that, and so we were, I think, pretty overly cautious in the first trimester. And we'd also done a lot of IVF. So the fact that we were getting into week 10, getting into week 11 was highly angst-ridden for us. It's like the, the nervous 90s of a, of a test match. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. So, yeah, we had one little miracle baby in the middle of like eight years of IVF. And she came along naturally. She wasn't an IVF baby. Amazing. And then we just couldn't get pregnant again. So I feel like this conversation took a turn. Uh, we're talking about, <laughs> talking about uh, Star Wars, uh, literally 64 seconds ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, zeroing in on that target can be nearly impossible, and we found that. But yeah, we have one child to drive us crazy. And can you remember when Tamara was in that first trimester, like Audrey, Osh's partner, she had a bit of morning sickness and food mm-hmm. aversion, whereas um, Gemma, my wife, was, was quite lucky. She got through relatively unscathed. How was Tamara's first trimester? I remember she was really sick, and ironically, we were really happy about that because it meant that the hormones were really strong and that things were coming along really well. Yeah. So, it was quite a kind of comforting discomfort in many ways because I remember she called me from work and so she was having naps under the desk and just feeling really sick. But at the same time, really happy about it because it meant that things were going well. So hang on. So the the, the nap under the desk, now that's a, a fantastic mm. George Costanza move. <laughs> um, mm. One of my managers, Rachel, she used to work at a post-production house and they had a screening room and she was like, I'm just going here to, to look over some rushes and she would just go and have two-hour naps. Yeah, just don't crash for a bit and get paid. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the good thing about being a writer 
she's a writer. So when you are actually at the office, the producers don't know what the hell you're doing today. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like as long as one person's on lookout, you can be under the desk doing whatever you want. And if you're in your first trimester, you can be having a good old kip. Oh yeah, Audrey was absolutely like that. I was saying to Charlie before, she was yeah. like she was like those goats on the internet. She would give you one look and go, I've got about ninety seven seconds before I have to fall asleep. So I'm driving right now. Can we swap? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, there's a lot of fatigue too, I think, in that first trimester. I know, because I had a lot of sympathy kind of symptoms. <laughs> oh. You know what I mean? Like empathy or whatever they call it. Covard so, syndrome. Yeah. We learned about it last week. Yeah. So, like, I was sick a lot in the morning, uh, mainly because everyone I knew was saying, mate, have all the big nights you can now. Yeah. <laughs> and I also was tired in the morning for the same reason. <laughs> so your morning sickness was, <laughs> had a little more tequila about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little more self-inflicted than some. But, uh, yeah, and then I learned, cut the fourth trimester when they entered the world, that you never sleep again. And five, <laughs> five years down the track, I've been up since, 4.40. A little one woke up at 4.40 today. Brilliant. So, yeah, good news to all the those expectant dads out there who well, think, hey, we might be the ones who get it easy. You won't. You just won't, mate. Sorry. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Ryan, Asha and I, uh, as we've discovered through the course of doing this podcast, we are geriatric parents, uh, as yeah. anyone over 35 okay. is classified as. So, there you go. Looking I'm, forward I'm a geriatric dad. <laughs> to yeah. getting older and older as my child gets up earlier and earlier. I'm also into the geriatric bedtime now too, where it's like, well, she's down seven thirty. You know, do I push through a couple of episodes of something I like, or do, or do I do I play it smart and sit back at you know eight thirty, knowing that I'll get a good night's sleep? And uh, I I have that wrestle with myself every night, and often fail, often fail, often just end up either on the Netflix or on these days house party chatting to people about literally nothing till eleven p.m. <laughs> just eating into that valuable sleep time. Last night, Audrey, she went out of the room for to get something. I already said goodnight to G, and she went out of the room to do something with G downstairs. Uh, G's our oldest. She's 16. And um, I'm like, oh, she paused MasterChef. I might just see what the couch is like if I lie on it. Oh, it's actually quite good. 20 minutes later, yeah. she walks yeah. in. It's five past nine. She's like, just go to bed. No. Just, yeah. just go just to bed. You're useless. Out. Go yeah. to bed. The whole idea of like having some precious time alone <laughs> where the kids have gone to sleep out the window. Nah. I have just it's failed fine. her and the family. Yeah. I think Gemini have watched the first 20 minutes of about, I don't know, 30 odd films <laughs> to get 20 minutes <laughs> oh, into yeah. something. And then one of us is asleep. So we just abandoned the yeah, whole project. Exactly. I'm an expert in the first 12 pages of any screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With homeschooling, you're like, cool, I've just spent uh, a good solid two weeks at home with my child, and now it's holidays. I can spend another good solid two weeks at home with my child. I, I am <laughs> fascinated so by this homeschooling thing. So can you just give me a bit more insight into that? So were you sent a structure by the school for you to follow? This is what you need to yeah. teach your kid? Right, okay. It's actually quite good because they give you – you go down because Ali's just in kindy. So she's in her first year at school and you go down, they give you a manila folder of, of uh, worksheets that they can do each day and you kind of structure the day out. So in some ways it's easier because you've got actually something to do all day um, as opposed to like, cool, let's go to the park. Um, do you want to, oh, I'm the horse. Okay. You can, I'll horse ride around for a bit for you. Um, now, oh, it's snack time. That's why you're angry. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just my partner. Um, yeah. You know, you got, you've got, Spelling in the morning, you've got maths in the afternoon. Boom, it's three o'clock. There's only another 
four hours to kill. So you're the first teacher who's actually watching the clock more than the kids. <laughs> like, oh, come pretty on, much. three o'clock. Yep, pretty much. And it's very organic. I'd be yeah. int- intimidated that I would get to a subject that I didn't understand that I then had to yeah. somehow <laughs> explain to a child. Yeah, it's like possessive noun. You know what this is. I don't need to explain it. <laughs> I just Come that, on, don't be ridiculous. I just think of that hey, scene Siri. from School of Rock with Jack Black yeah. where he's playing the guitar. Three plus three is six. <laughs> Our homeschooling, G's doing her HSE, so pretty much every single one of her subjects is utterly beyond my possible comprehension. Oh, my God. That sounds terrifying. It is. Me. I'd be way out of my depth. It, but I'm not going to lie, every now and again I'll hear, uh, you know, if I'm walking past a room or whatever, I'll, I'll hear her engaging one of her teachers and the three of us, our parents never got to listen in on any of our classes ever, right? No, that, that. That's mm, true. It would have been yeah. creepy. And then to hear not only the kind of teaching that she's getting, but also the kind of questions that she asks, it's like, oh, fuck yeah, kid. Where you go? Yeah. You, you asked, that's yeah, a good. fucking good question. Yeah, go. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, it's really that's good. That's good. You ever swing by and go, oh, English teacher's hot? No, no, you don't. <laughs> he my, is, but like that's that. not the point. <laughs> my uh, brother and my sister are, are both teachers. He's a high school teacher. She's a primary school teacher. And we did a mm. big uh, Zoom catch-up last weekend, and they were saying the issue with uh, all this virtual online learning now is that teachers are expected to become filmmakers to capture the attention yeah. of children who have grown up watching like TikTok and YouTube videos. And my brother's like, yeah, totally. I'm in my mid-50s. I don't know how to make yeah. a video that a kid is going to be interested in. It's going to hold their attention for more than two seconds. Mrs. Matthews, do the horse music challenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Great pleasure. 4.45am, uh, I'm going to guess if you push through till 8pm, mm-hmm. that's a gold mm-hmm. star for you, mate. Thanks, buddy. Actually, full disclosure, this morning, um, my little one was like, I want to do reading eggs. I was like, yeah, you do, because then they get on the iPad and do some reading stuff to the school. I was just like, Daddy's just going to put his head down. <laughs> and then about half an hour later, she was like, finished. And I was like, great, good, good job. <laughs> so did get a mid-morning nap in. <laughs> to do it again. <laughs> Winning. Yeah, yeah, afternoon. Afternoon reading eggs. Let's go. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. All right, guys. Have a good day, mate. Osh, we've come to the part of the show that has become entrusted to me, I think, in in recent weeks. I have, yeah. To induct someone to the Hall of Fame, which has been good. I've actually enjoyed the research. Look, to be honest, it's been easier to find examples of fictional dads um, than real-life dads because any time I'm tempted to sort of like explore like a real-life dad, like I was like, oh, Will Smith, you know, he seems like a good dad. Then I'm like, ah. I think I don't want to induct a real dad and then find out later that, you know, he's been doing something weird or he's part of some strange like Hollywood cult or anything like that. So I think it's safer that we just stick with fictional dads for the time being unless it's a complete clean skin, unless it's someone that we are like like Joseph that we inducted, someone that we know is never going to be questioned, like Dave Grohl. I mean, I, I, I am fully confident that Dave Grohl, inductee into the Dadput Hall of Fame, will never let us down. I'm the same with The Rock. Rock's there. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if he ends up going for the Republican nominee, then who knows? <laughs> I'd be happier with Rock as a Republican. Rock as the president is a great idea. I mean, we would then literally be in idiocracy with a wrestler as the president. <laughs> yeah, President Camacho. I would be fine with it. 
In fact, President Camacho, I think he could be an inductee of the uh, Dadpot Hall of Fame in the future. But no, this week I want to uh, run a name past you to see you and I have a fairly similar taste in uh, movies. Mm -hmm. This one is kind of a fall between the cracks, but it's a real test of how well you know your action films. If I was to say Cameron Poe... Nah. Nicolas Cage in Con Air. Oh, my God. (laughs) Cameron Poe. Now, let's just run over the facts. Cameron Poe was an army ranger who defended his pregnant wife from drunken thugs. But because of his army training, he was considered a lethal weapon and was given seven years in prison for the damage he inflicted. He was a model prisoner, though, who even resisted a jailbreak when everyone else broke out of the prison. He stayed in his cell because he wanted to serve his time because he's a man of honour. Uh, He eventually got released from prison and hitched a ride on a convict plane that was hijacked by Cyrus the Virus and his cronies. Cyrus the Virus, played by John Malkovich. So he was on the way to meet his daughter, who he'd never actually met in person. His wife was pregnant when he went to jail, so he never got to even hold his daughter. And he'd brought her a bunny. That was his gift. That's right. I guess a bunny that he had made in the uh, prison workshop. I mean, is that where – can prisoners get – toys sent in like where does a prisoner get a bunny from i don't know but all i know is that you want to put the bunny back in the box that's all i can there you go that's (laughs) so you do remember something of course man of course malcolm is amazing in that film the film ends with a big fire truck chase through vegas cameron poe smashes the truck with i think john cusack uh, running support john cusack and his one and only uh dipping his toe into the world of jerry bruckheimer action films yeah Uh, they kill the bad guys and he gets to meet his daughter while i believe uh, it's not Aerosmith, but it's something similar to Aerosmith playing in the background when he meets his daughter and finally hands her the bunny. <laughs> now, I bring this up yes. because this is a confession. Yeah. And, look, I can take or leave Conair. Yeah. But every time I've seen it and it gets to that moment at the end with the trucks on fire in Vegas and he goes to meet his daughter, I always get fucking choked up. There's just something about the way that that scene is shot and the way it's framed and the music swelling, the Aerosmith but not Aerosmith music score swells. And you see Cameron Poe hug his daughter for the first time. It gets me every single time. <laughs> I don't know why. It's, it's a perfect storm. It's, it's got everything you want. It's, yeah. it's got action. It's got fire. It's got one-liners, and at yeah. the end, you, you you care so much about this man having this resolution and finding this little baby girl's presence and meeting her for the first time, and then you get hit with a big key change of the Diane Warren song. Uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> You're only human. I mean, it's the hair. I think Nicholas's Cage's career can be charted in hairstyles. Like, if you just took a still frame from every one of his photos, yeah. you can see the gradual pinnacle and then decline of his career based on his hair, and I think... Hang on, did you say decline? Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me, Charlie. Nick's best work is yet to come. The, the economy is not the only thing in recession. That is, that is all I'll say about <laughs> Nicholas Cage's hair. He's saying Ghost Rider was a bad film. Uh, okay, so Cameron Poe from Con Air. Dad Pod salutes you. <laughs> There's only two men I trust. One of them's me and the other's not you. <laughs> Charlie, if people do want to email us, they can. It's really simple. Askdadpod at gmail.com. This fabulous dad that's emailed us is actually called Laura. Oh. Laura just wanted to say how much we've loved Dadpod. My husband and me always listen in while we drive around with our now eight-week-old Josie. Congratulations. Congratulations. We have so related to everything you've chatted about, so nice to know that it's all normal. 
Can't wait for season two. <laughs> Good. Oh, thanks, heaps. And another cracker came in here from uh, JJ. I'm listening, and this is kind of interesting, just so people know, uh, we're recording this in April of 2020, so you know what has happened or is happening in April 2020, and you know what we did next. So this has come in from JJ. Guys, I started listening to your podcast. Love the show. My daughter, Freya Jade Rocket. Oh, wow. Was born, or should I say evicted, as she was claiming squatters' rights and overstayed her welcome. <laughs> I'm taking a pause on the podcast for a little while. I'm 10 episodes behind. I'm waiting for Frey J to get to four weeks old and hopefully sync up her age with your babies. Being born in quarantine made it especially tough for my partner, who was not allowed to have her mum in the room and just uh. me as a big useless lump. We needed a C-section in the end, but both baby and mum are doing fine. I've now mm. been sent home and will not see my partner or child until I can bring them home from the hospital. It's been a tough time, but one shared with the world. It'd be nice to hear you read this out in 10 episodes' time when I catch up. <laughs> well, thanks heaps, JJ and Frey J and Samantha J, who's uh, the mum there. Being, wow, being born in quarantine, that's a tricky one. Yeah, great, uh, great title for a song though, isn't it? Born in quarantine. You should, obviously, you should start your, was it How Do I Live by Leanne Rhymes? Was that the song from Con Air? How do I live without you? Is that the one? I want to know. Was that it? Someone's going to write in. Askdadpod at (laughs) gmail.com. We're also on the Instagram, dadpodgram. Charlie, it's been a cracking episode, episode three. Episode four, we're going to dive into uh, something that I, I don't know, what the hospitals will look like on the other side of this coronavirus situation. But obviously in Australia, you can go two roads. You can go public or you can go private. Uh, We went private, you went public, and Mm -hmm. we're going to dive into all those options on the next episode. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here? Uh, No, just thanks, Ryan Johnson, for coming on the show again. And thanks for Knives Out. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Go to bed. (laughs) 